Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome to Sports Psych MD's podcast. This is episode number 38. We're your hosts, Dr. Tori Trojo and Dr. Armin Hose. How are you guys doing? Hello, welcome. Welcome to another one. Yeah, today we're going to continue the conversation from our last episode. We're going to touch on these inequalities and injustices, the horrible things that have been going on within our communities, within the black community. Yeah. We're going to first touch on and then we're going to march on to creating with you a narrative around how to heal collectively the wounds of society, both emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, you know, in the midst of the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, in the midst of sports and global economic shutdown. How do we start this reawakening, this resurrection of sports? We're going to give you guys concrete things to do to help get you to that point. And we're going to talk about all the great athletes and players that have been out there taking action, all the leagues that have been taking action, including the NFL and NASCAR. And we're going to talk about the return of sports, specifically the NBA and what that yeah. bubble situation is looking like down in Orlando. And we're going to talk about how America could finally be a place where uh, everyone has an equal opportunity at justice and liberty justice. for all. For all. And, you know, as you will teach us throughout this message, it's going to come to, to unity. It's going to come to understanding. Understanding that comes from engaging in dialogue in an authentic way where all sides are considered and we reach understanding. And through communication, we build confidence. We build great communities, communities of resilience. That's what we want. That's what we're striving for. Yeah, and that's what we're here to talk about. Court is in session. The verdict is in, right? That's how it starts off. Mm-hmm. Court is in session. The verdict is in. Okay. Remember that one? Yeah, man, they really made you think about what it's like to live in a world where, like, you may find yourself trapped inside of a prison of your own ideas, you know, your own sort of, like, really negative ideas um, and negative ideas, some of which that were from within, you know, some of which that came from without, you know, in the environment, almost like in the air you know, tonight, or, you know, in in the real world, like, every day, like we've seen with coronavirus, right? It's like, we literally have this virus uh, all around us at all times, you know, infecting our neighborhoods, our communities, just globally. Uh, It it has surpassed the boundaries of all races, all ethnicities, geographic boundaries, um, religions, creeds, political institutions. Virus, that virus doesn't care about it's gone that stuff. right through, right through us all. And in the midst of it, in the, while the world has crumbled slowly, right, just slowly, right, this slow march right through this, uh, this pandemic, sort of in the, in the peak of this crisis at the peak, you know, we saw a hero in Michael Jordan on display in global broadcast networks. You know, being a hero all over again, we sort of relive that moment. We talked about it in the podcast the last couple episodes, how it resurrected 
that good old hope that we all missed, you know, through this pandemic and, and right, man, within the scope of it all, right? You know, like two bifocal lenses onto one of the worst, most disgraceful, tragic events, eight minutes and 46 seconds, crucifixion, social media, global network. It was there. We were all exposed. We were all witnesses to that. And uh, uh, you yeah. mentioned that you see the world's been kind of crumbling. I see it more as the blinders are, have came off. The shade has, has, has gone up. Now we're able to see more clearly that us as a nation, us as a world, there's still a, lot, a long way to go. There's still a lot of faults in how we live and our society evident by those eight plus minutes that you spoke of. These, these social inequalities and injustices that have been here for years. Yes, there's been improvement over the last three, 400 years, but we're still fighting and we're still not all equal. We're still not all treated equal despite being. No, we're, yeah. Lord help. And yeah, I mean, e- even um, before the George Floyd incident, the coronavirus has been affecting people of color more so, more seriously in part due to inequalities that exist in our healthcare systems. Black people are coming down with more serious illnesses than white people. You know, and, and, and Tori, I, I, you're still, you're still right about that. Um, and your orientation is, is on time and on, on target on this one. And I would say what you've also presented to us, gift wrap is one of the mechanisms that's been a, you know, a huge target aimed at communities of color worldwide, which are these brands, uh, these negative brands, these negative attributions. Like you said, you said a health prejudice, a health inequality, right? A health injustice. There's so much there, right? Because it has not been, in fact, a racial issue. It's just been a global issue. I mean, yes, Certain minorities in number, uh, represented by communities of color, have had had more, you know, I would say struggles with getting access to testing and access to the best care. But I've looked at the numbers and every community, no matter what economic even umbrella you may live under, has been deeply and profoundly impacted by this. And it's, it's amazing how even in the midst of such a crisis, like we can utilize these terms, these labels, right, to divide yet again, right? And so that brings us right back to the beginning. Um, we think about the hero in Michael Jordan, the hero who died so tragically at the beginning of all of this, right, in Kobe Bryant, how we put them on display and we celebrated them in the midst of this crisis, how we then, as a community of people, as a world, our economy reopened and we had this sort of like economic resurrection. And in the midst of this crisis of humanity. Yeah, because we had the last dance and the Kobe Bryant. Yes, we did. These are, those are things that we all, everyone was united in a sense, watching the last dance, mourning the loss of Kobe Bryant, everyone who's a sports fan and beyond that. 
were united in their their mourning and their sadness with the Kobe Bryant death, and they were united in the excitement of reliving Michael Jordan's glory years in The Last Dance. And that was through the pandemic, which unfortunately also became something that was very divisive. Um, and we can point to our leader who fuels that fire of division in this country. And the coronavirus, I think, well, like I mentioned before, it, it took off the blinders. We realized that our system, and we spoke to the healthcare system, your healthcare insurance is tied to your job. So what happens when over 3 million people lose their job during a pandemic? 3 million people lose their health insurance program, right? Yeah. The one that's been supporting them and, them and their families. And we, sp- we spoke to how years. the in- inequalities we saw working in county hospitals that service the uninsured and the Medi-Cal county insured patients or the state-based insured patients versus the private insurance facilities we've worked in. We've talked about the differences we've seen and the way patients, individuals are treated at those hospitals. And I just see those events. At first, we had, like I mentioned, things that were unifying and then more and more division showed up and more and more disparity showed up. I've spoken to pharmacists who work at these pharmacies. And when Donald Trump mentioned hydroxychloroquine as being an option to treat this medication. I talked to pharmacists who are having these wealthy men and women coming in and buying out all the hydroxychloroquine. They could, 90-day supplies, 180-day supplies, just because of fear of getting the coronavirus and needing something to treat that. Meanwhile, that's a medication that is needed, required to treat certain illnesses. Autoimmune diseases. Exactly. And um, it come, come yeah. to find out that medication is not even helpful is proven no efficacy when it comes to treating coronavirus, COVID-19. It can even, it, it can even be lethal at yeah, certain doses. Strong side been. effects, hallucinations. So just things like that it just shine a light on the fact that our system is still flawed. And ultimately, if you have enough money, you have power, you have advantages in all facets. You have advantages when it comes to healthcare. You have advantages come with hiring a good lawyer to get you out of trouble, so on and so forth. You can set up your kids with better educations. In some cases, you can bribe big-time universities to accept your kids into college. Just look at the scandal at USC recently. Yeah, social media, it's all over. You mm-hmm. know, it's, 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 uh, it's the headline usually. I mean, I think a couple of years now, it's like every couple of weeks you, you see something new on that. Yeah, it's all out there. Um, and we talk about advantages, right? That's an appropriate term. And what I think when you, you know, you talk about appropriation, what I think we all can really and should embrace about the benefits of what our, our grandfathers and our grandfathers, grandfathers, what they provided, what they worked for, what they fought for in some cases, you know, what obviously in all cases they died for is this legacy, right? This legacy of resilience, the legacy that we all always talk about on this podcast, Tori, is resilience. And it's just this great American treasure and set of shared values, you know, one that Barack Obama stood before us on a regular basis, you know, some years ago to, to help us remember. But it's that legacy that is at stake, you know, at the center of this crisis. It's that legacy. It's 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 hope. Mm-hmm. You know, it's faith. You know, it's all the things we believe in, 
in terms of what's right. And, and ultimately, you know, resilience is, a, is the cornerstone of all of this. Yeah. And it's what all of our legacies, all of our legacies, all of our legacies, irrespective of ethnicity, intersect at one place. You know, we all have legacies of tragedy. We all have legacies of sorrow. We all have legacies of pain, you know, and that's suffering. We, that's the one thing we have in common as human beings is suffering. Suffering for legacies, dynasties and communities. And here's the thing, when you suffer in the same kind of way for the same causes and, and these values that are locked inside of us, you end up really emanating the same color on the inside. And when you, when you can see that color in another person, you know, you can reach out and touch that person authentically in a real human experience, you see that color and you forget those colors that may be there on the outside. Yeah. And I want to, I want to kind of reframe what you said and put it into my own words a little bit, but let me set the stage Please. for our, our listeners a little bit today of what we're going to talk yeah. about. I know we came out hot, but we have yes, to. Sir. Um, with what's going on. We have to come out hot. We have to come out talking about these things. So we're gonna, it's going to be an extension of the last episode where we talk a lot about these injustices, if you can't already tell. So we're going to we're gonna transition from that episode. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what Armin talks about, these ideals. What are, the, what are the values of our society, of America, of the United States, of America, of the world? And then we're going to go into how does sports come into play? We're seeing now a lot of players take action use their voice. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about the leagues, these big time sports leagues, the NFL, the NBA, they're taking action, NASCAR even. Uh, and then we're going to go into specifically the resumption of the NBA season and down in Orlando in, the, in that bubble that they're creating in the midst of a pandemic with all these different things going on. With Celebrate just, good times, man. Celebrate good times on the horizon for exactly. sure. Exactly. So we're, we're going to talk about all these things today. So we have a lot in store. Just one moment, man. So um, there was a word you mentioned in there uh, I want to get back to. You said that uh, as it relates to taking action. Oh, mm -hmm. God, Tori, you, <laughs> you got me with that one because when I heard you say that, it reminded me of exactly why I'm here doing this with you today because when we got together some years ago to start this thing, we, we realized the only way it made sense to do this, given you know, the fact that we were still in, our, in the depths of our training, was if we were really gonna be about taking action, you know, it's just more than words at a certain point, right? And, and that's what this movement I've seen developing most recently in the world, in you know, politics and in sports, which is why in many ways we're here as well, you know, the ultimate meritocracy. Um, we're seeing movements, not just words, not just, you know, briefs and drafts and, and presentations, but meaningful like stamps and seals of approval and signatures and commitments, right? And now things are reopening in the wake of that type of energy right where it's like people want things to change and want them to change mm -hmm. now yeah we're, we're garnering a lot of momentum and i want to get all into that yep. but first let's talk about what you were touching on earlier this idea of our legacy of resilience so we have these truths 
that we hold to be self-evident. And that is that all men are created equal and they are all endowed by the power of their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And let me, can I just pause for a moment? That was so beautiful. That was so beautiful. And we all we all get goosebumps actually when that type of, of, of poetry is, is flowing. But you said, you know, this, you know, all men are created equal and, you know, all this beautiful tone and narrative. And it's like, man, how do we forget those words, right? How do we forget those words? I mean, how do we, we not buy into those words? We committed, we committed, we committed with citizenship. Some of us really worked and fought hard to have that right, those rights unalienable, right? So they're not, they cannot separate us from this. And it's really a vote. The constitution's a vote. It's a singular vote, one vote, one commitment, one singular goal. When you say under God, right? It's really not about what God you necessarily believe in. It's about the scope and principle of a unified code, right? A unified set of principles, not like Mm -hmm. I have all these options along the way. I mean, you should have options, but the options should be sort of an extension of your singular narrative around a common set of principles, right? That's what we sign up for is one voice, you know, one vote, one vote. And what we need to now recognize all of this is about is creating a greater duality, a greater sense of really multilinguistic vernacular and multilinguistic language and narrative and stories around what justice really means, how it's applied and how it works, right? Because there are two sides to every story, two scales in injustice. And when you have essentially injustice, what you have is one side being more heavily represented and the other side being downcast Justice is the balance, and that's what we have to get to. And the narrative, it starts with the narrative, sir. Yeah, it's unbiased. So when we were kids, we did the the Pledge of Allegiance. It was kind of, I never really internalized what that meant as a kid. I honestly thought it was kind of uh, weird, but liberty and justice for all. And that's what you're speaking to, justice. So what, what exactly is justice? So essentially it's fairness, unbiasedness, impartial use of the law, fairness in the court of law. And if that is something that is one of the core values of America, not everyone is treated justly. And liberty, let's talk a little bit about liberty. That's the ability to freely think, speak, act as you choose, as long as you're not offending someone else's freedoms without oppressive restrictions. So does every individual in America have those, those freedoms to not be oppressed? Here's what, uh, here's what the myopics and narrative around a commercial industry presents us. It presents this story that like all of these things, these you know, truths that we hold self-evident, these values are great to have and th- something worth going for and going after, but somehow they're scarce resources. I mean, somehow there are things that are- People going, make it seem going, like that, yeah. Going out of style, right? You know, or going out of- you know, you have to buy it now, you know, and, and make sure you get it, you know, while it's hot. 
you know, and someone make sure else's that gain you, is your loss. It's always this narrative counter narrative to make you really fearful of what could happen, you know, if you don't have it, if you don't get it, you know, because everyone else is getting it, everyone else is going to have it. So you're part of this American dream. You understand it to be a rat race. So you, you have to get some of that cheese because you, mm-hmm. you can't, you know, you have to leave behind a legacy, right? That's, that's the other thing. That's the other thing I want to touch on is, is competition, healthy competition. That's what fuels a capitalistic society. That's one of the reasons why the United States has, has been on the forefront of a lot of different technologies and inventions and, and just look at our entertainment industry and different things like that. It's capitalism. That's the, no posi- that's the positive yeah. spin on that. But also you want to make sure within that, this capitalistic society, you want to have equal opportunity, equality of opportunity. And that's another thing that I'm not so sure we have. And this kind of touches to this conversation I, I saw on Twitter with Emmanuel Acho and Matthew McConaughey. Emmanuel Acho is a former University of Texas Longhorn football player, played in the NFL. He started up this new series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And he had Matthew McConaughey on as a ghost to have a conversation about all these injustices and what, what is there to do. And a quote was brought up by the poet, social activist Langston Hughes. And I just wanted to, it resonated with me and it kind of has to do exactly with what we're talking about. And part of the poem was, Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet and yet must be the land where every man is free. So that just speaks to the fact that yes, in our declaration of independence, we said all men are created equal and they have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, liberty and justice for all, equality of opportunity. These are core values in America. If you work hard enough, you can elevate yourself. You can have success here, unlike in any other country. You can start from the bottom and get to the top. That's the ideal. But we don't see that. We have yet to achieve these core values. We have yet to achieve these ideals for every citizen. Well, so let's, you know, if you were to take a, a very quick survey um, or go online, Wikipedia or something like that, and you were to do a search for what the top 10 or 50 uh, American films of all time in terms of, you know, popularity have been, you see a lot of these immigrant stories, the rags to riches story, the Godfather, um, you know, you know, the Soprano series, um, you know, Scarface, like these are iconic movies rooted in this tradition of like how you get, you know, kind of the hustle and flow, right? How you get from the bottom to the top. And, you know, one of the common themes there is like, you know, as hard as much grit as it took to get to these shores, it's like these guys knew how to apply the same kind of grit to get to the top. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan's a perfect example. For sure. And it's like, it's amazing how we glorify, you know, the stories of, you know, men like Donald Trump. But then we really have these interesting dispersions around, you know, how we feel about, you know, the stories of like the mob, you know, the stories of like the mafia or, you know, what have you, these immigrant stories of how to make it to the top. Now, they weren't good old fashioned American stories like, you know, Gone with the Wind or, you know, what have you, but they were real and they were truth. 
they were authentic and they were captured in a way that I think, you know, the people of those communities could be very proud of. And they were very successful cinematically, right? So it's interesting how those stories somehow are like, have been painted in this negative light, like, you know, you shouldn't want to be that way. And certainly criminal activities in general are not good ways of getting to the top. Nevertheless, you know, there are many criminal enterprises, including slavery for many generations that enabled, you know, the development of, you know, entire systems of economy that fueled, you know, the manufacturing industry, for example. And, you know, ultimately enabled this country to be, you know, as great as, as it is today. And, you know, but these are hidden stories, you know, these are hidden messages, hidden narratives, just like with the statues of General Robert E. Lee, you know, a man that, you know, whose Air Force, which was an outgrowth and therefore created by the U.S. Army, which he was the general of that service at one time, a service that I served for, that the 17 years old, my mother and I sat down and signed a document, thus giving my life away to the United States government mm -hmm. um, to fight for all of us, right? To, to fight for that liberty these, and justice for all. Protect to protect these rights. freedoms. I fought in this man's Air Force. And I, you know, on the front lines, you know, in virtual spaces, you know, uh, and... It's the same Air Force that had the Tuskegee Airmen? The same ones, you know, the heroes, uh, one of the most heroic commissions of, you know, the World War II era. You know, within the realm of this community of people that unfortunately lost a statue of one of their iconic figures, um, I know there was a lot of consternation around that. And, the, and that... The way that was done was not the right way because um, I don't believe necessarily in, you know, destroying history. Um, it's always going to be there regardless. No, it's always there, you know, in hearts and minds, even if it's not on display. And what you want it to be, though, is on display. What you want it to be on display with the truth, right? And the truth is not about tokens. It's not about a condensed narrative of what something represents. Uh, it's not about, you know, a brand label, um, which is really often a superficial narrative and incomplete in verse and in scope. It's a, it's the full scope, right? It's the complete integration. It's the, the full truth. Mm -hmm. And that's what's missing with, you know, the statue. There's nothing wrong with the statue. It's part of history. And he was a great general, you know, great military mind and tactician. And he killed many, you know, northerners, many, you know, Union soldiers um, in battle and almost took it, you know. <laughs> I don't know whether it's Charleston or where it was, you know. I mean, he got, you know, I mean, he, he fought, you know, and, and he really, you know, fought for the rights of, you know, white slave owners with brevity to the death. But he also was someone that was involved with, you know, frankly, a criminal enterprise that had lost favor in the world on the world stage for decades at this point. And uh, it was really not even a, a major force right in the future, the near future of, of what eventually built this, this country into, into greatness, which was the manufacturing industry, uh, which actually enabled, you know, we went from a free agricultural labor force to, tremendous jobs, millions, you know, of jobs opening up, not just in the Northern communities, but also now in the South for manufacturing enterprises. 
and you know which fed these immigrant families um and which you know those slaves were unfortunately not able to to really be a part of because of the very sad unfortunate and lonely climate you know sort of a coronavirus if you will of that era you know around what to do and how to deal with these former black slaves i think when you talk about robert e lee i just think about like my own education when i was a kid in history class and what i learned throughout middle school elementary school high school and i think history is there but it's we're, we're reading it through the this lens almost this if you want to call it a white lens whatever you want to call it where yeah it's a filtered lens whatever exactly it is. they're only the textbooks only show a finite amount of material and they only show the highlights and they they put individuals on pedestals like robert e lee and and other people who okay that's fine you can tell us about them but you should also be filling in the blanks and telling us about all the other important historical black men and women that this country had you should be talking more yeah. about how even though slavery ended with emancipation proclamation 1965 there were still certain black codes that were designed to restrict the rights of african americans and then there was a sharecropping system which essentially was just indentured servitude indentured in servitude and yeah. then jim crow laws that continued on these are things that i don't think were touched on nearly enough um, and that, these are things I had to go out on my own to learn as I got older. Uh, we didn't learn these in school. Yeah. And Tori, no, we didn't learn in school. Um, if I may, just to kind of illustrate this point and shed some light on this topic for a brief moment, I want to go back to my third grade classroom and tell you about an experience I once had, which I didn't even realize at the time was a racist experience, but it was my first true racist experience in, third gr in my third grade year of education. Um, so I was what, you know, about eight years old, maybe seven, because I have a late birthday. But it was at the hands of a black woman, right? This is my, my teacher was a black woman. We had a class that was majority white. I was, in fact, I think the only one or maybe one of two ethnic minorities, both of which were black boys, if I remember correctly. And I think there might have been a couple of other kind of ethnically ambiguous types, you know, but Ultimately, you know, it was a majority class and maybe 20 or so kids. And um, we had these little reading circles as part of our program. And uh, it was about five or six of us in a group. And we were going through this book and it was a history book, history lesson. And we happened to be covering the Revolutionary War era, which did, of course, encompass and then, you know, eventually Civil War era, the notion of slavery, the story of slavery to third graders. But we have to know this, right? Mm -hmm. And she's presenting these these stories and talking about how whites own this and you know, and I don't know how she was trying to explain it, but I totally got what she was saying. And it was fortunate for me that I was able to understand these things from an earlier age. So I was kind of following along. And then she went on to say that how I think maybe one of the kids asked a question and I was surrounded by white children. And you know, she was like, Yes, Susie, you know, it you know, it, black people were, they were slaves. I mean, they worked, they worked for these people. And, and yes, you know, your, your grandfather is right. You know, I mean, um, black people were referred to as niggers, you know, and, and this is the way things were. And, you know, she's trying to kind of, I don't know, I, I think she was trying to connect on a, you know, some sort of deeper level and almost like, um, you know, 
don't want to make you feel guilty about this level. You know, it's it's so fine. It's fine. You know, it happened. It's history. Um, and I I totally got it. I was totally in it. I was I got it. I was like very empathically. I because I I connected with what the experience of that child my peer was. You know, it was weird and what you know my teacher was was trying to do him. And then I raised my hand and I said, yeah, I was just trying to join the conversation. Yeah, you know, I was just like you know, I was talking to my grandmother actually recently about you know some of this stuff and you know she told me that you know we uh blacks used to call uh white people crackers and there was this kind of like you know it was like this kind you know and like none of these kids right we were all children i think even but it was like because she our teacher you know sort of had this like uh this surge you know of um they were feeding the teacher's reaction she was you know very taken aback by this. Um, you could tell she kind of clenched up, kind of fight or flight mode. And she was a pause and she was just like, Armin, I don't know where you learned that language, but I'm going to tell your grandmother. I mean, she was so, so like upset. And, and she was upset almost like I kind of disgraced her, you know? I disgraced, you know, the class. I, I, I brought, you know, shame upon us all by, you know, revealing what I thought at the time was really just a form of justice, right? I mean, a form of truthful information about, a, you know, essentially another narrative um, around the same topic that I learned from my own experience. And I was shocked at, at her her reaction, you know, it, it just to this day. And, you know, I remember my grandmother, who was a pretty tough lady, did have, did, we did have a conference and, and she did learn of this. And I don't remember her ever speaking about it again. Um, she did seem a little disappointed just in the fact that I was even, you know, in a situation. But it, I could tell based on how she responded afterwards with mostly silence that she, you know, and I were kind of speaking the same language at that time that, you know, it, it, it was something that, um, you know, that, that woman, I guess at the time, my teacher just could not understand, um, you know, but hopefully today, you know, in this newer age, I wanted to to ask you, so social media, yeah, that was the first time you realized that people could judge you differently based off the color of your skin. You know, I didn't know it at the time, you know, I did feel bad. I felt bad because I was, I think at that stage of my life, I was, I was kind of into like the whole teacher's pet thing. And, and, you know, I learned that I could, you know, I guess participate in class and, and sort of, you know, be the, the kind of considered student in certain ways and earn favor from the teachers. And because I, you know, school was kind of my thing early on, it was, I could build these relationships. Um, but then things like that obviously were very corrosive, you know, to the relationship. So it did have a profound impact on me. And I have to think, you know, even though I didn't take that message quite the right way back then, that it really was the first time I realized that. And I became ashamed at that age, but in this very confused way, because it didn't seem like this was real justice. But because like, it seemed like everyone else was kind of looking at me differently in terms of what, what I was feeling and, and thinking about and this. That's and what the I, la- last thing you really, really want as a, a third grader is everyone. Especially when it's what I know to be true. So, when I know it to be true in my heart, 
you know, kids, one thing about children. So you felt differently. One thing about children, and we all know this, you know, if we ever interact with children, if we became parents at any stage of life, we know that children think differently than we do as adults. They're not as, they're not as, um, as fragile because of the fact that they're still, they still have kind of those hearts of gold, you know? Um, mm-hmm. They're still open. They're they're solid, their hearts are know? still open for connection. They're open, but they're solid, you know? They're integrated hearts. They're solid. They haven't been biased. And when they see things, it's real. It's truth, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not based anyway. on these fictitious narratives. And so my heart was kind of broken for the first time, I think, that day. And, um, you know, and, and this really, I think, started to forge the pathway, you know, to resilience, right, for me. And, and so, sort of this journey to, to discovery that I think we've both been on for a while. Did you, what, what do you think the biggest takeaway was? Like you mentioned it helped you build resilience. Did you realize, like, I'm going to have to, to work harder to get to, to garner the same yeah. equality and justice yeah. as others? Like, what did you learn? Wow. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've actually been on, and I think a lot of people have, I know a lot of people have, I know in my heart, in my spirit, that a lot of people have been on this journey during this, you know, this period of quarantine and period of reflection and all these tragic events. And I, you know, for me, you know, one of the things I've been reflecting on is, is the, the story, my story. Um, and all the different events and steps that I've taken to get to where we are now in this moment in history. And when I think back to that moment, I realize that there is this a preception to a set of experiences in which I really started to like look outward, you know, beyond just like internal narratives of my life, my family and my teachers. And I knew how to read at this point. So I started reading a lot of different kinds of things my grandmother had encyclopedia and I'd already kind of been dabbling in that. And I think I, I went back to them and really started to like learn cool things that I thought were interesting that would help me understand how people think. And I pulled out, I remember the P volume, which I remember I looked at before and couldn't completely understand very well, but I went to the psychology section and I learned about what at least people like Freud thought about how the mind worked and, Piaget and different people, um, but I, I just thought about those things. I think just like for my whole life, you know, at different times, different ways, just thoroughly like those things. Other things I read books, my Angelou, um, Ralph Ellison. I paid more attention in school. I really paid attention. Like I didn't ever. I wasn't a homework guy. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, but um, I I always paid attention to what teachers had to say, and. And I always tried to make sense of it and made it my destiny really to make sense of these things. So that's, and yeah, there's a lot of truth, man, out there. So once you figured out that you may be judged or treated differently because of the color of your skin, you, you sounds like that created like a fire inside you to understand why, like, why is this happening? Let me, let me gather up as much information as I can to to better understand this. That's what I'm hearing. And that ultimately led you to a career in psychiatry. It really did. I mean, it led you to, to sports like MDs, and now you're putting out this message, you're telling your story, and I hope it could be helpful for other individuals. Yeah, I know it can. I know it can because, it, you know, it's the right message. 
at the right time and with with the truth, man, you know, with the right narrative, you know, I'd say set of narratives, you know, which is a multilinguistic, multi-ethnic. It's cross-cultural. Oh, man, we all speak these different languages, both how we express ourselves with fashion, music, right? Our hairstyles, right? Um, how we make and create love, absolutely. All of these different ways we communicate, even before we speak, before we write things down, before we type things out or text, you know? And it's like, we have to understand that these are all just, these are differences, they're nuance, they're nuances. But it's not, these aren't the things that really divide us in spirit, you know, or divide us in truth or divide us in justice. Absolutely not. And these are all the things that we're after. It's just, how do we get to the truth of it all so that we all can be on a more, you know, of a meritocracy kind of setting, you know, like a sports type setting, a mm -hmm. performance setting where it's like, hey, the value is, the proposition here is, what you put into it, you will receive, right? Yeah, um, that's it. That's, it right that's what there. it's about. Man. I want to emphasize that. That's the American dream. You work hard and you'll have success. Yeah. Hard work pays off. A strong, hard work ethic should always pay off. You should get results. Always. If you work hard, that's, that's one value. That's cross-cultural. I think that's what you're speaking to. No matter how many different languages we speak, everyone and anyone respects and connects and resonates with hard work. Someone who takes hard yeah. work, someone who is accountable and responsible. You make a sacrifice. Exactly. You, know, you, you paid your dues to be here. You didn't just, you know, you didn't just show up and you, and you, you weren't just here for the food. You know, you were here to contribute. Exactly. You know? Contributing to your society. With the trust that if you contributed, then what you believed you would receive when you came to that stage or came to those shores, you would get, and, and then there's this other promise, it's sort of like more of a bonus message that like, not only will you get it back, you'll get it back tenfold, right? It's not just coming back to you in one way, it's coming back to you in many ways that are all good because it's like you, you trusted us to deliver mm -hmm. and we didn't let you down and it's like, when you see things in that light, you realize, man, this is not just any old ordinary love or any ordinary affection or ordinary place, United States of America. This is real. This is like people that are really out here grinding and things aren't always what they seem, you know? I mean, you, you have to, I think you always have to open the cover, peel back the layers if you want to see the truth. And if you don't want to see the truth, you know, then you really have to accept whatever fate comes for you because honestly, like having truth is the only way to really light a path of understanding in any circumstance, Absolutely. any situation, you know? Absolutely. And let me, let me bounce off that and we'll jump into what the, the leagues and the players are doing right now. So concrete solutions, concrete things you can do. And we talked on this, we talked about this in the last episode. You mentioned seeking truth. Absolutely. Yeah. Be, try to become more aware of your own privilege, of your own bias, of your own possible racism. Advantages, advantages and disadvantages. And then yeah. become aware of those around you, your friends, your coworkers, your family. Become aware of their privilege, their biases, their racist actions, their thoughts or jokes. 
then from there, speak up, talk to people, engage in conversation, challenge people respectfully, continue the conversation. It's all about having a conversation. You don't necessarily want to shut someone down if you hear them say something that you perceive as racist. You want to inquire to how they got to that point because ultimately you could shut them out and they can go and create this own echo chamber and their own silo, go back to their own community. And that's still going to fester and go. But if you open up a conversation with that racist individual and you by chance, and I've heard stories and accounts, uh, even of KKK members who have came to a period of enlightenment and quit the KKK. If you can open up a dialogue and conversation with that person and get at the reasons why they're prejudiced and they feel the way they do, you have a chance to change their mind, to enlighten them, to gain common ground and, and better understanding amongst you guys. And if that individual comes to a point where maybe they, they still have the racist thoughts, but they now know those are racist and not right and they're wrong, they're more likely to go home to their family, their community, and begin to spread the fact that racism is bad, racism is wrong. This is why we can't make jokes like this. This is why we can't do things like this. This is why African-Americans, people of color are at a disadvantage. We want to recruit people to our team. We want to unify. So open up that conversation with those around you. And then from there, it's all about voting. It's all about getting out and vote. And one of the, one of the main things you can look for in voting is vote locally for your prosecutors. Did you know right now there's over 3,200 people nationwide that are serving life terms without a chance of parole? How many? You say 3,200? Over 3,200. And these are for nonviolent offenses. And of these prisoners, 80% are behind bars for drug-related convictions. 65% are African-Americans. 18% are Latino. And only 16% are white. So find prosecutors that you know in your local area that are giving these outrageous long-term jail sentences to these individuals and vote them out. Simple you know, as that. You know that, you know, that math doesn't make any sense. You know, especially when you, t- when you think about the most recent drug crisis that I think we've all been most aware of, if you think about media sources, is the opioid crisis, right? And that was largely a crisis centered demographically around a community of people that, you know, look mostly like, you know, white men and women and not necessarily people of color. So it's interesting how, you know, the labels around criminal justice and drug use are still owned by people of color in spite of time, you know, and how time and and history has, 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 has passed. And that's another way, you know, that information, you know, can often get corrupted yeah so there's there's still people now serving life sentences for selling marijuana when it's legal now and people are profiting out of their ass from selling marijuana right now john boehner our former uh, speaker of the house before nancy pelosi um, took over as majority leader wasn't he one of these men that that has been profiting off of the sale and distribution of cannabis and marijuana products. <sighs> That's interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting how, how, how the tides turn, you know, depending on where you stand. This is what you're talking about, pulling back the layers to try to find the truth. That's what, that's what we want to try to do. So I want to transition us into, we talked about how 
sports can be a vessel for change. We've seen it in the past with Muhammad Ali. We saw it with Jesse Owens. We did a whole podcast on these trailblazers in sports. I forget what episode it was. Game changers. Game changers and trailblazers about people who broke those barriers down in sports. Sports is a vehicle for this. It can be. It can be great. And we're seeing it right now with all these athletes coming to the forefront. We talked about the importance of voting. Well, your guy, LeBron James. So he and a collection of other black athletes and entertainers are teaming together to have a, a new group called More Than a Vote. And this organization Love that. is all about two goals, energizing black voters to get to the polls and thwarting voter suppression. And voter suppression is a huge thing because we have all these people that have been in government for years, the status quo, and they don't want you to vote because if you vote, they're going to get voted out. So what do they do? They send out misleading information on social media, giving you wrong locations where to vote, wrong days and dates and times to vote. So LeBron James teaming with people like Kevin Hart, Draymond Green, Alvin Kamara, uh, Skylar Diggins-Smith are coming together for more than a vote and are going to try to get people energized to vote this fall. It's great. You know, it's great. It It reminds me of that Rock the Vote campaign that we saw back in the 2000s. You know, they think catapulted, you know, the Obama campaign. But, you know, let me tell you something about that. History is the best teacher. We always say it. And and I think we're always going to believe this because it's truth. And, um, you know, as much as I love what I'm hearing, I do have to comment on um, the other side of this narrative, which is for all the good that uh, a movement like what LeBron is leading can do. You know, if I were part of his marketing team, one thing I would definitely not want to allow him and his team to forget is that, the black vote is something that a man of his stature and prominence should absolutely support because he is a member of that community. However, there are many other communities of people that have to be involved on the front lines of this fight and want to be involved and should be involved. And when you, when you use these labels, which really at the end of the day um, aren't necessarily helpful because um, it's not just about the black vote. Uh, and when you all of a sudden just say, well, I think it's more than let me that. Just say this. It, it's always more than that. And I know what he's going, I know what he wants. I understand what he's trying to do. He wants to appeal to the right audience. And so it's this counter mechanism. I get it. I just want, I just want everybody to understand that at the end of the day, in order to really truly like this, this path, we have to be all inclusive in mm. our approach, all inclusive. Yeah. And the labels aren't going to work. They're not going to work, not in the long run, tactically. Yeah, absolutely. Fine. So I, th- I think it's a tactical decision because there was 1.3 million less black voters in the 2016 election than the 2012 election. And I think there was over 4 million um, less votes total um, from 2012 to 2016. And part of that is we had in 2016 probably two of the worst candidates going up against each other. And quite frankly, Donald Trump, we talked about this. He got less votes than Mitt Romney did four years prior. And Hillary Clinton, she just couldn't get the votes. She didn't get the black community. She didn't get white women. She, did, she just didn't get the votes. Not, not just the black community, but the white community. And She did get a vote, actually. She got many votes. And it was a vote of no confidence. Yeah. So we have LeBron and other athletes taking stands. We saw Jalen Brown 
uh, the rising star for the Boston Celtics and Malcolm Brogdon, rising star for my Indiana Pacers, uh, leading protests um, down in Atlanta. You saw Gianna Santacupo present at another protest. Steph Curry. Steph Curry, yeah. yep. Yeah. You saw Drew Brees put his foot in his mouth, show his ignorance, show his blind spot. But guess what? He then, after the fact, educated himself on this blind spot he had, coming yeah. to the realization that kneeling for the national anthem has nothing to do with disrespecting those who serve in the military, has nothing to do with disrespecting the flag. It has everything to do with the fight against police brutality towards black people. Um, man, and when he stood, you know, he stood for that cause uh, and did it through social media. You know, he even penned a letter to Donald Trump. this global broadcast. Um, honestly, man, by, in standing up, we all sighed a huge breath of fresh air. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. So you have, really you have these, these idols. People look up to these individuals. They're putting their necks out there and they're taking a stand. You even have people on Twitter, people are tweeting at like JJ Watt and Baker Mayfield. You'll, oh, you'll never kneel. You're, I bet you're definitely going to stand. And guess what? They're going right back at them. And you're saying, you won't get to decide what I do. I absolutely agree with people, people peacefully protesting against police brutality. So I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to kneel with my brothers. And we talked about how Joe Burrow has been an advocate tweeting out. You have Trevor Lawrence, the star quarterback, probably going to win a Heisman this year at Clemson. You have all these people coming out in the sports world and taking a stand, which is is great to see because we've had athletes do this throughout many generations and many years. But now it's almost like every athlete is doing it. And that's powerful. Yeah, and and the athletes that are really – in it right and that are out front and outspoken and have been for a long time so you know it works because it's not like they're just kind of coming out of nowhere like their household brands you know mm-hmm. which is a great thing about being an athlete is you can be your own brand and mm-hmm. you know and, and lebron has proven even your own boss oh yeah and you know it's it, like this he's going it's from like more this, than an athlete to more than a vote and you know and it's going to continue and it's like one thing I will always promote and, and love about sports, you know, beyond this meritocracy is that um, it provides a field, um, a plane, a, uh, an atmosphere, um, ultimately a holding environment, a holding environment, right? The same holding environment that we all kind of grew up in with mom and or dad, maybe a brother or sister, maybe, you know, some cousins. Stability. This family and then this community, this whole, exactly, stable, balanced uh, environment. And we understood the importance of that for our development as people, as humans. And then, hey, what a joy. Like, we get to become adults and go right back into that, a family. And, you know, these guys are out there breaking their backs for these schools, these communities every day in practice. And it's like, how do you look someone in the eye after going into, you know, proverbial battle on the field and then go into the locker room, into your sanctuary and betray them, you know, betray their trust in the sanctuary that you guys have, you know, been on the field of battle. Shed blood, sweat, and tears on. And, and then deny him. I mean, he's had your back mm-hmm. every step, every step of the way. You guys have had success together. And in some cases, if you're a white quarterback, 
you know, literally they paved the way for you in some cases. Uh, and they really enabled you, you know, without asking for much in return. You know, as your brother just standing next to you, you know, beside you in the good times and the bad. Yeah. Not asking for anything other than, look, just let me be a part of this number, you know, this band of brothers. Just let me experience it alongside you and the glory that a person, your stature, your prominence, your look can bring in this type of community, in this type of world. Let me just be a part of it. For him to understand that, connect with that through whatever prism, social media, the locker room, you know, through the coaching staff, through the, whatever it is, his, his or her own holding environment, to deny his brother, it would be to deny himself. And, and I think a lot of these guys just are not, they're not about that these days. That was the beauty of the, the Drew Brees incident is what he, he showed himself that he just didn't know he's uneducated, he's ignorant to, to the cause, to what's been going on. And he exposed himself and then he corrected. He sought understanding from his teammates, like you talked about, his brothers and his community and people all over the country. And he was held accountable. Everyone was going after him on social media. LeBron went after him. Ed Reed went after him. And, but he was ad- flexible and adaptive and open to, to now being an ally and to being an advocate for, for kneeling and protesting peacefully. Um, because at the end of the day, he realized we're on the same team. And I want to kind of bring this out. I think sports is the reason we love it is because it's a microcosm of life. It's what we need right now. We need more unity. And unity starts at the top. We need a good leader to galvanize us, to realize that we can put our own ourselves to the side, our egos to the side for the common good. We can lock hands, shed blood, sweat, and tears with our brothers, with our sisters on the playing field, knowing that we're doing this for the common goal the common good, the greater good, which is to win and to also just to have that bond, we can take those yeah. lessons and, yeah. and we need to extrapolate those lessons out to the real and world. We do, man. We do. We need it right now. And that's the beauty about sports too is in sports in their purest form, there's an even playing field. It really doesn't matter where you come from or what you look like. It's all about how you perform on the playing field. It's all about where how you going. perform when the whistle where blows. Where you're going, man, where, what your mission is, you know, what your purpose as a team is and what your destiny is. And if it's a championship, you know, it's that process of working together for a common goal mm-hmm. and then achieving it together. Teamwork. Teamwork. And we talked about how it's so great for kids to grow up playing sports and it's even greater and more impactful for individuals who maybe aren't academically inclined. Maybe they can't sit still in a chair from nine to three. Maybe they're best suited being active, running around, and they learn best. They learn how to work well with others from sports because they can be active and they can see that immediate feedback. They can do something good. They can throw a ball. They can hit a ball. They can kick a ball. They can run fast and they can get that immediate feedback. Oh, I'm doing good at this. I'm developing connections. I'm realizing that. I can be selfless and that still feels good because we're going to win at the end of the day. I'm, I'm also going to learn that hard work pays off. The more I practice, the more I study film, the better I do. I see these results specifically on the field. My coaches see these results. They validate me. They give me a holding environment. These are valuable lessons that anyone can learn. Some individuals can't learn these same skills in school. So they have to learn them in sport. Some individuals don't have that stability at home. They get it within sport, within team sports. 
that's the that's why sports are so important to us because they in a sense reflect the ideals of of society of this country equal opportunity hard work pays off teamwork at the end of the day unity at the end of the day is the best way for success yep um as an individual or team really any one or anything that starts with a set of strengths a certain character and then is prepared to go on a journey towards a destination that they recognize as a vision a dream you know whenever that transition or transformation has to happen when you understand how these things are connected or you're at least prepared to learn and you go into this process seeking truth, um, you will have light along your path to your destination. And it is the most certain path you can take in order to achieve success. We talked about it many times and it was echoed and resonated throughout the Last Dance documentary that a man from literally nowhere can come onto this this earth and pick up this ball and have this goal and score, you know, better than anybody else that's ever lived, you know, if he has that, those character strengths, the vision, and then he has the right mission, right? The mission of resilience. So through that hard work, he was able to yeah. elevate not only himself, but his family. He was, man. To legendary status. And so we're not only seeing players take stands, but we're also seeing leagues take stands. So the yeah. NFL, they came out, Roger Goodell came out and said, we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. The NFL also pledged $250 million over the next 10 years to fight these social injustices and inequalities. It's a good step in the right direction. And this is the same league that just four years ago, essentially blackballed Colin Kaepernick out of the league. And what did he do? He had a conversation with the Green Beret, a former Green Beret, Nate Boyer, about how kneeling during the national anthem would be a great way to protest against police brutality would be a respectful way of doing it rather than like sitting on the sidelines and not looking at the flag. He decided to kneel after he had a conversation with a former army veteran. So this, and, and, and when that happened, just a little history, when Kaepernick first did that, that was coming off the killing of Philando Castile. That was coming off the killing of Alton Sterling. Tell the truth. And Kaepernick was That's just right. kneeling to protest against that. It had nothing to do with the troops or the flag. And now, no, finally, the NFL amazing. sees that. Yeah. The NFL finally sees that. Four years later, and how many, how many more police killings later? Yeah, what, what else is Taylor, it going to take, right? George Floyd. Right. Hey, you know, pre- preach on, yes, sir. I mean, and, and how much more blood has to shed? How many more bodies have to to die in the streets? And how many souls have to be stirred? before we see and understand what's at stake here. So um, what's at stake here is everything, okay? As I see it, and I think probably you see it too, the pillars of injustice 
seem to be centered around uh, a, a series of things, but you know, I envision three things in particular. On the one hand, social isolation. On another hand, and this has been an ongoing slow march to death, slow march to death uh, over centuries for many immigrant communities, including um, you know, the original communities like black folks, economic insecurity. And then lastly, and one that I think may have been um, a little at that time beyond the full scope of the movement of the 60s that we all shared, the health disparity. You know, this pandemic, this crisis, COVID-19, and what, what it has presented to us. These are the, the, these are pillars of injustice. These are the things that are the kind of the, the precipice, the scaffolding of this information warfare imperative that we've been really dealing with for so long now, um, these campaigns around division and mistruths, misdirection and disservices and disgraces like the one we saw last month for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah, man, it, it's, we have to change this narrative. We have to continue this conversation in order to end this stigma, in order to, I think, mm -hmm. really get to a point where we can even really speak on treatment and therapies for a pandemic like coronavirus, right? Yeah. Because even that is a war of truths. And we have to be on the right side of this. Yeah. This so we got a, so the U.S. soccer has also taken a stance in the right direction. They voted recently to repeal a policy, which they had in place that required people to stand for the national anthem. And they also came out saying black lives matter. And that rule was also introduced back in 2016, around the time Colin Kaepernick first took his kneel. It actually did it when Megan Rampino, who we've talked about, kneel during the, the national anthem so they've repealed that they said they admit that that was wrong so they're moving in the right direction nascar just recently banning confederate flags at all their events so they're they're trying to say that the sport brings people together for the love of racing and the community yeah. rates yeah. is special and they don't want to have any symbol of hate so they're banning the confederate flag and i saw why not that, absolutely why not even, even NASCAR, which you wouldn't expect. Bubba Wallace, who's one of the few people of color in NASCAR, he spoke up out about it. And, you know, you wouldn't expect it. You wouldn't expect it. Mm -mm. But I think, I think we should. You know, I think we should expect and really demand more from each other. And I think that's what I'm, I'm seeing encoded in this narrative of today and of the future, is we have to expect more demand more if necessary because this is not a warfare of combat or i mean no one's trying to die yeah we all want to live we all want to live free we all want to have that pursuit of happiness and joy you know and and whatever it is that you know god or our creator has for us and in order to do that though i think we we all have to feel both in spirit and in truth, that we, we are on the same field of play. Um, even if we all have different destinations, different journeys, different missions, different 
perceptions and yeah. and views. That hard work, that that's the same field that resonate with us. So we're seeing same race, same race. You know, we're all running the same race story. We're yeah. all running the same race. So we're seeing all these sports leagues do this. We're seeing Mike, Michael Jordan. We talked about him. Absolutely. His Jordan brand, they're pledging $100 million over the next 10 years. Isn't that great? To ensure racial equality, social justice, and greater access to education. I love that. I'm, I'm looking I forward to that. seeing where the all this money goes to because that's a lot of money, and that could be impactful. <laughs> we know how much money can move the needle in America, and that it needs yeah. to be filtered into these communities that have the injustices. And yeah. Injustices. How do we follow that? How do we follow that story? So I want to talk, wrap this podcast up about talking about the return of sports. We mentioned all these things. Oh, there we go. All these things coming on. There it goes. And there it is. And we've, we've already seen, we've seen the UFC. They've already held, I think, four or five fights. They had one on UFC 249, was, which was May 9th, held with nobody in attendance in, in, in Florida. That drew over 700,000 pay-per-view buys, which... Not didn't quite crack the top ten, but it was better than the four previous five pay per views. So people are watching, people are enthusiastic. It also had 1.2 million viewers on the undercard. It's important to note that the Last Dance averaged 5.65 million views per episode. So people are thirsty for sports and live sports of that. The Bundesliga league in Germany came back. Starving. We're starving. PGA tournament came back just. This past weekend in Texas, the Premier League comes back on June 17th. Champions League's back. Welcome back. NHL <laughs> returning to training camp here in just a couple weeks. Season's going to start up. Major League Soccer's starting back up here in July. I'm down at the ESPN's Wild World of Sports in Orlando. Who knows what's going on with Major League Baseball as we record this, I think, on the 16th. We still don't know. That's up in the air. But more importantly, maybe not more importantly, but... What we all, we love, what we connect through, NBA, they're separate to return. Same place as Major League Soccer soccer down in Orlando, July 30th. And it's going to extend 22 teams. They're going to be there through, the the finals is going to go through possibly October 12th. And it's going to be fascinating. They're going to have 22 teams there. Every team that's within six games, the eight seeds invited. There's going to be eight regular season games. There's going to be a playing game for the eighth seed if the ninth seed is within four games of the eighth seed. And they're creating a bubble system here in Orlando. And I don't want to go into too many details because it's pretty complicated. They're having a lot of different, I think there's five total phases. They're doing testing for COVID, self-isolation, social distancing protocols. They're only allowing teams to bring 36 people, including staff. And they're asking teams to show up essentially July 7th. And if you play all, all the way through the finals, you're there for what? Three months, July, August, September, October, over three months, four months. If you win. Yeah. If you continue to win and get yeah. this. So this is important because I'm isolated in Orlando. What, what's there to do? I read today that they're allowed to, to play golf. They're going to be DJs. There's going to be movie theaters. There's going to be different things they can do, but they're, they're limited. Sounds to, good. To the it's campus. like camp. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I also read today that they're they're going to be have mental health professionals on site to make sure that's a no brainer, right? They're going to have yeah, don't catch COVID. Yeah, yeah don't catch COVID. So. Obviously, going to have infectious disease yeah. specialists on site as well. God, yeah, they yeah, do say that, and they put in little carrots there because if you make it to the second round, you can reserve up to seventeen rooms in your hotel for guests. 
you have to pay out of your own pocket though. Of course. Um, yeah. So the, that's important. That's important. So yeah. got to make that sacrifice. Um, so, so they, they, they established yeah. this with the CDC guidelines. It's very well thought out. It's different progressions. It took a while for the NBA and the NBA PA to come to an agreement, but they have. And what we're seeing now is there are certain individuals speaking out recently about possibly due to this, not due to necessarily a pandemic, although that factors into play uh, with regards to safety, but you have players like Kyrie Irving and Avery Bradley. They're leading a coalition of about 80 or so NBA and WNBA players that are discussing the possibility of sitting out the remainder, remaining season because they want to put their focus more so on the efforts of fighting against racism. I like that too. And I like that brutality. too, man. This is, hey, hey, Tori, I love this. I like it. I might love it depending on how it all goes. But this is actually something that I think we actually need to start to embrace, right? Is like, let's not divide. Okay, it, it, immediately the media wants to jump on this and divide these guys, mm-hmm. these bands of brothers. Let's not do that. Let's mm-hmm. let everybody, everybody, whoever wants to be involved in whatever side they want to be involved, it's the same fight, it's the same struggle, right? We all are ready to and prepared to lift our voices. Someone to do it on the field of battle, on display, someone, you know, in performance. Some want to do it, you know, by standing up, you know, sitting out to stand up to march on, you know, and it's fine. Like, let everybody present what they want to present mm-hmm. and be what they want to be. And let's not make it a, a, a negative competition. Let's no. make it a positive endeavor. Let's hear it up. Let's, let's hear everyone's thoughts and opinions, everyone's solutions, everyone's alternatives to playing. Because I've read a few quotes from Avery Bradley, and I really, I get behind a lot of these, or quotes coming from the coalition. I'll read a couple here. Um, let's see. This is not about individual players, athletes, or entertainers. This is about our group of strong men and women uniting for change. We have our respective fields. However, we will not just shut up and play to distract us from what this whole system has been about, use and abuse. They go on. We are fathers, daughters, leaders, and so much more. So what is our big picture? We are in this for unity and change. So everyone's on the same page here. Everyone wants to continue this fight for social justice. And everyone wants to do it safe. Obviously, you have the coronavirus looming. And some of these individuals may have pre-existing health conditions. You have coaches out there. Greg Popovich, for instance, that are 71 years old. They also have things in place with regards to that. I won't get into those details. But more importantly, Armin, I want to ask you this. And I, I read a great article by Mark Spears, who's a writer for Undefeated in ESPN. What do you think, I guess, what are your thoughts? Like, what do you think about players sitting out, using that as leverage uh, towards getting real change done versus playing and getting change done that way? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, one that I hope all of us consider um, now that you presented it, because you're not really, you know, hopefully our audience now understands that you're not just talking to me. Um, you're talking to all of us. I mean, you know, our conversations are really all inclusive, always have been, always will be. And it's about, you know, simulating these discussions, these conversations for all of us to share. And I just want to say, as I have my opportunity, um, <sighs> As I think about this, I'm reminded of many things. I'm reminded of, you know, we talked about Dr. King briefly earlier and Malcolm X and, and these leaders, you know, Gandhi and, and you know, these, these great men of resilience and sacrifice and unity um, and what their movements and marches were all about. 
You know, and the first term that, that comes to mind in all facets is, you know, obviously inclusion, freedom, justice, all that stuff, but then integration. Integration is a complex term. I know it, it sits in different ways for different people. Um, but I was reminded by a friend recently of this expression um, that we often use in, uh, in communities of color, which is that you can only be what you can see. Um, and in order to, to be the change that we all need right now, we have to see each other. Um, we have to see each other not by what the current narrative suggests or convey or contrive, but we have to understand those narratives are not always lies, they're not always mistruths, but they are not full truths, they're token, tokens of truth, right? They're not full, complete integrations of the information or the narratives. And in order for us to be what we need to be as a community, as, as first as individuals, first as individuals, as men, collectively across all spectrums of color of resilience is we have to be able to see each other's colors that are on the inside right not on the outside because that's that's the token you know that's incomplete that's not going to tell you someone's story and bind you to that person's world and, and enable you to understand what we're all about here is you've got to get in touch with people in one way or another in order to see who they are on the inside. And when you mm -hmm. do that, when you're able to accomplish it and appreciate that through self-awareness, mindfulness, um, through a journey of you know, exploration of self that leads you to better situational awareness in a community and family awareness to this, this place of social experience that leads to self-awareness and appreciation self-love right self-love once you take that, that that step through you know a narrative of truth then i think the only thing that you'll truly be able to see at the end of that journey is that we are all one color on the inside and and when you see that in others when you either shake their hands look them in the eye see your reflection your own reflection in their eyes, right? Um, you maybe even reach out and you know give them a hug, a fist bump, you know, a helping hand, whatever way you touch people. When you have that personal, authentic experience with another human from a different tribe, you know, a different race, yeah. a different community. You have a completely different experience because you get to recognize that we're really all the same because we have the same purpose, same mission, you know, the same destination, you know, and that's unity and it's integration, you know, and it really is when you really, that's the ideal. You really think about the ideal it. is for everyone to be treated as an individual, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of how they pray, regardless of how they love treat them as an individual, get to know them the best you can, put your feet in their shoes, get to know their experiences, get to know why they are the way they are, get to know if they're saying the values that they have are the same values that you share. 
And then you can create a connection, a true understanding of that person. And that is the first step in unity is trying to gain a better understanding of your neighbor, of that person across from you. And then you realize, you realize that regardless of their gender, their, their religion, their sex, their sexual preference, that stuff doesn't matter. You can still respect them. You can still connect with the fact that you both have a hard work ethic and know that you should be responsible and accountable and that hard work pays off. You both can be empathetic individuals, generous, loving individuals, kind individuals. These are all things that you can connect with people. These are attributes you need to look for. Disregard. Communication. Absolutely, Tori. Oh my gosh. Understanding comes right with communication right and um unity builds confidence you know and trust and um that's where we need to be that's where we need to go yeah so circling back with regards to athletes with regards to the nba specifically the opportunity to resume the season is an opportunity to get money in their pockets is an opportunity to get that money in your pockets, you can use that money however you want. You can use that money to put back into your communities. And not only the players can do this, but it shouldn't only be the players. It should also be the coaches, the staff members, the front office, the owners that take this money that they can get from resuming a season and put it into the communities of need. You not only have that, but you have the world all looking at you. You have the eyes and the intention of so many people. How many people you ask? Well, last year's NBA finals, 20.5 million viewers in 2019 NBA finals. So you're going to have at least that many eyes on you. There's not much else going on. So you might even have more. So imagine that much attention. How, what can you do with that much attention? So if you can contain this, this momentum that we've seen in the streets of all the major cities throughout the world, you've seen in New Zealand, you've seen it in Germany, you've seen it in France. If we can continue this momentum, and the sports world can encapsulate that and bring it to a stage where you have 20 plus million people watching, you can send a powerful message of unity, a powerful message against police brutality, a powerful message for any message you want to put out there. Some would say that's not enough, but this is going to continue that momentum that we need. Think about right now. I want to encourage everyone to read that Mark Spears article. He talked about all the different things. You can have the I Can't Breathe t-shirts. You have contracts with the TV channels, with whoever's advertising. You make sure that there is a theme to everything. We will not stand for police brutality against people of color. We won't stand for police brutality. We will fight that Black Lives Matter. We will fight for equality and justice for all. That is the theme of the whole entire playoffs. You have it on the warm-ups. We works, man. You have it on the court. We works better. You have discussions in the post-game conferences. You have have discussions constantly. And guess what? We just watched it on the Last Dance documentary. We just watched finals coverage from 1991, even before that, (laughs) to 97. And we could see the things Jordan was talking about, what he was wearing. Imagine getting... This finals, it's only going to be seen once here in 2020. It's going to be seen for, for the end of time as long as the film's out there. And if you can put those messages on, on everything, that will live on forever and continue that momentum. 
And those images will be there. And it's going to reach not only 20 million plus viewers this year, but every time you see a clip of that finals, that's going to be reminded. That message is going to continue that we will not stand for social injustices or I love that. inequalities. Yeah. And the money generated be. could be put back into these black communities. We, absolutely. We, what we can do, not what I can do, not what you can do, uh, not what they can do, you know, not even what I'm suffering from, you know, what, you know, you're not suffering from, what they're suffering from, and what they're not suffering, none of these things. Like, we is a whole different animal, right? It's, and when I think of we, I'm a psychiatrist after all, I think of wellness, you know, and I think that that's what comes together when you, when you turn I and me into we is wellness, right? And I think that's what the NBA is waking up to, right? It's waking up to that, you yeah. know, that we, that's what we need to be about. It's not illness and pandemics or COVID-19. It's wellness. Let's wake up, man. And it's more, it's more than Let's a game. This. It's more than a game. Yeah. And just think we had a whole podcast about game changers and, and trailblazers. We talked about Jesse Owens. What if he didn't compete to win four gold medals during the 1936 Berlin Games? Crushing Adolf Hitler's myth of Aryan supremacy. Yeah, Aryan supremacy. What if Tommy Smith and John Carlos didn't race during the 1968 Mexico Games or hold a black fist in the air? We talked all about this in that Game Changers and Trailblazers episode. What if this just stuff didn't happen? What if Colin Kaepernick never kneeled? These are things that obviously they spark controversy and momentum at the time. And ideally they lead to changes, but we haven't seen enough changes. So let's create another moment, another historical moment that we'll look back to and people will do podcasts on within sports where we are fighting back to try to regain, to try to finally capture those American ideals and values that we talked about. Because we have not yet reached what we sought out to be. And I'll go back to Langston Hughes. We march on. Oh, let America be America again. The land that never has been yet and yet must be. The land where every man is free. That's right. He was, he was spot on, man. And, and I think what I see in Langston's message that is now starting to ring throughout humanity and even throughout the black community and white communities of America is that the narrative has to be interwoven in truth, right? And it has to be brought around in a circle. And ultimately what we'll, what we'll come back to, you know, through this prism of understanding that we'll build together and create together, you know, let's think about this. Black Lives Matter four years ago. Now it's all Black Lives Matter. One day soon, I suspect that this will become an all lives matter movement, right? But it has to come full circle, right? This narrative has to come full circle and it has to, we have to march on in an all inclusive way. This, you know, the, the civil rights movement was great. It was you a great- You gotta treat march. the broken leg before you treat the chronic illness. It was a great movement, but I'm not sure we were ready yet for the full integration. I'm not sure we were yet prepared, right, for this full circle, but the time is now. You know, duty calls, you know, the march 
goes on. And for us, you know, it's always going to come back to ending the stigma. And continuing the conversation. So we want you to get out there and start these conversations with your family members, friends, and online. Hit us up on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Don't let it go. At Sports Psych MDs. Engage. In person, not just on social media. We're ready. Till you feel